Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben and this is the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is an episode coming to you out of season seven where we're completely focused on the barbecue scene in Australia. And for today's episode, we're heading all the way over to Perth again in Western Australia, and we're having a good chat with Dan Ryan from Griffith Smokehouse. Now, sorry, Griffin Smokehouse. Griffin Smokehouse is a delicious barbecue joint over in Hearn Hill. Now, I've been chatting with Dan online back and forth for a while now, but I didn't actually meet him in person until I was at the National Barbecue and Grilling Association Conference in Kansas City last year. I was walking through the main hall, and I hear this Oh, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah, mate, mate, mate. And I'm turning around like, I know that accent. Who else here is Australian? And I turn around and sure enough, it's Dan. And uh, we're going to find out more about how he came to be there and and what he was doing there later on in the show. But uh, yeah, it's a really interesting story. So in today's episode, we're going to find out how Dan came to be in barbecue. And we're going to find out about the interesting background that he's got that he's brought into the barbecue scene. We're going to learn the story of how Griffin Smokehouse came together and how they're doing things a bit differently to, to other smokehouses out there. We're going to get into the, the choice that he's made for the large-scale barbecue cooker in his restaurant, what he's cooking on, and then we're going to move over into the NBBQA. We're going to find out about his long involvement with the NBBQA, all the, sort of, all the different things that he's been doing with them over the years, and then we're going to get into a bit of a chat about the growth of the American barbecue scene in Australia. And very interestingly, we're going to talk about the things that get lost in in translation. Jeez, I can't even translate it properly off the page here in front of me. We're going to talk about the things that get lost in translation. So little bits of details that get lost when we're sort of transferring all that information from the United States over here into Australia. And then we're going to close out the episode with a bit of a lesson on barbecue pork ribs, which is the specialty there at Griffin Smokehouse. So without further ado, let's get stuck into it. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Dan Ryan from Griffin, not Griffith Smokehouse. Mate, welcome to the show. Hey, Ben. How you doing? Mate, I am absolutely fantastic. How are you feeling today? Yeah, pretty good. Just uh, winding down my Friday, so... Kind of thinking about having a beer shortly. Well, beer is a bit of an immunosuppressant, so I do have to ask you some safety questions first. Do you have a runny nose and a sore throat? Uh, no, no runny nose, no symptoms at the moment, uh, but, you know, you can never be too careful. Well, apparently we are contagious before we start showing symptoms, so you never know anyway. So just crack that beer and hook on in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, mate, so... Give us a bit of a rundown on um, on how you got into barbecue. Okay, well, uh, goes all the way back to 2010. Uh, went on a road trip with a mate, like as you do. I uh, went through into the states, and uh, I was actually uh, in Las Vegas, and uh, we we're playing blackjack downtown. And um, the conversation came up at the table, going, "Oh, have you eaten any great barbecue?" And uh, sort of going, "Oh, I've heard about it, but." Uh, didn't really know much about it. There wasn't a lot of TV or anything about barbecue back in 2010, um, specifically in Australia. Um, so 
uh, someone suggested we go to uh, Austin, Texas, and it was we sort of had a spare dance card considering we were on a, on a bit of a road trip all the way to New Orleans. So um, jumped on a plane, got off in Austin, and um, started to go around, do a, did a road trip through the um, Louisiana and stopped off at a, a lot of great barbecue places along the way. Um, uh there was a there's a place down there called in Lockhart, Texas, which had some amazing um, barbecue places. They're like a hundred years old. And as soon as I walked through the door of of our uh, Schmidt's down there, which has the old traditional brick pits, um, the barbecue aroma just hits you like a punch in the face. And I was like, "Wow, what is this? And why haven't we been doing this in Australia?" And that was sort of the start of the the whole concept. Yeah, I'll bet. There's absolutely some top names there in in Lockhart. Aside from Smitty's, you got Blacks there as well. Did you get to Blacks? Uh, I didn't get to Blacks that occasion. Like it was pretty much Smitty's that time around. I have um, uh, caught up with I, I know Blacks um, from the MBBQA, but I'll talk about that a bit later on. But um, yeah, I, I didn't really back then. I didn't even realize uh, how many good places there were because it was it was one of those things where we just sort of just wandering through blind going, well, checking out different places, but not really being aware how much great barbecue was in that part of the world. No, no. And um, speaking of of Lockhart, did you happen to go to Lockhart Smokehouse in Dallas? Uh, no, I didn't go to the one in Dallas. Um, uh, the other place I've been to is uh, it was Salt Lake, oh, which is out of Austin. So um, good. And, uh, yeah, and, and Salt Lake, and they have that iconic um, open pit um, that when you walk into the restaurant is right there at the front, which really sort of, you know, is another like just distinctive feature that you just can't see everywhere because I believe um, the health department only gives a free kick to um, sort of mom and pop or well-established barbecue joints that are allowed to still do that type of cooking. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I did admit that I had I had to walk through and think to myself, we would never get away with that over here. Yeah, um, and that's that's a part of the here as that's what gets lost in translation. What I'll talk about later is you know that um, some of the th- amazing things you see there have come from these uh, mom and pop rules that they have for barbecue restaurants that have developed long before new regulations came in, and they've sort of got a free kick on some of these things like these amazing old brick pits and you know the lack of ventilation. Um, and all the things that <laughs> you have to tick the boxes off when you're complying with restaurants here. Yeah, well, the the history that they've got with that particular pit at Salt Lake there, I mean, you'd basically have to um, build the building around the pit because it like the the pit itself is like around a hundred years old or something. And yeah, so, I mean, it's it'd almost be protected under cultural um, uh, cultural icons or things like that. Yeah, and and that's I think that's the way a lot of those barbecue joints down in. Um, Texas get away with it. I know Snows is another one, which is like an amazing place. I've seen a lot of pictures of, I've spoken to people who have been there, but it's kind of in that same category where it's when you look at it, you go, well, really? They're just cooking out of an old shed. And then, you know, um, but they, they produce great barbecue, but they, they kind of get that free kick because they've been around for so long and they're an icon. Yeah. And you'd almost have to wonder if there's uh, grandfather clauses written into the, um, into the OHS laws, yeah, I, I, I have no doubt um, that there's there's got to be something in place there. But um, but they are amazing places, and I and when 
I'm creating uh, our own place at Griffin. We kind of like wanted to try and capture that in some way, like in in the way we do barbecue and, you know, even if it's that just punch in the face uh, aroma as you walk through the door. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, just before we do move into into Griffin, you mentioned that you went um, through Louisiana, which is one of my favorite places in the world to visit. I love all the uh, all the Cajun and the Creole and the seafood there. What uh, what uh, places did you eat at that you liked down there? Um, I went to. I'm gonna have to scratch my head now. Going back through it all, uh, there was a great place. I think it was called Blue Dog, and it was in Lafayette, um, and they did an amazing. Um, uh, a seafood gumbo there. It was just like, and it was award-winning gumbo that they did. It was just like silk. It was so luxurious. Um, and it's like I, I just remember that in when you have so many meals in your lifetime, and like, I remember eating that one, going, "Wow, this is really special." But, um, and of course, then going to New Orleans itself, and um, you know, I think I went to uh, um, what's the name of the place that does the world famous. Uh, uh, ham. I'm just trying to think oh, the name. Um, of it. Not, uh, not, not. Um, there's the sandwich shop on the on the main street there that's famous for po' boys. Yes, yeah, that that's the one. Yeah, yeah. The um, name escapes me now, but I can even see the intersection that it's on. Yeah, <laughs> it's diagonally opposite an open car park. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, they, and they and they have. A, I always look at things from a hospitality point of view too, because they had. Such uh, all the places down in New Orleans all had, had an amazing story of rebuild after Katrina. You know, like they lost, um, I think, a third of their population, um, and to rebuild and keep those um, traditions going after um, after a lot of the people that cooked their food left um, was quite an undertaking that had to be done. They basically built it all back from the ground up. Yeah, well, the the loss of knowledge would have just been horrendous to the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, those those people that uh, I heard the backstory of of um, New Orleans, and they got cleared out, and it was like a lot of them got moved to um, Southern Texas and uh, like all the all the neighbouring states, and some of them just never returned. So they did have a big vacuum of knowledge there when it came to and um, and people on the ground to actually create those amazing um, Creole and Cajun dishes. Yeah. Yeah, we did a um, – we went on a bit of a bus tour through New Orleans when we were last there and they took us through the um, the through the Ninth Ward, through the lower Ninth Ward that got hit the hardest in Katrina. Yeah. And there are still now – what is it, 15, 16 years later, there are still now houses that are partially demolished and just sitting there just rotting into the ground. Yeah, yeah. It's – um. It's a pretty amazing thing. I, I, I on that trip also, I went to uh, uh, the um, the Astro Dome, or I think they called it the Murder Dome, oh. <laughs> in, um, where you just and went to a football game there in um, in 2010. It was actually, I think it was a world world record because it set at that game. It was Saints versus Pittsburgh Steelers, and um, everyone dressed up in Halloween costumes because it was Halloween. So we dressed up, and it was part of a world record. The most people dressed in a Halloween costume at a football game, which was like 70,000 people or something. So it's a, it was a pretty um, weird feeling being in a town like that. But it's got – New Orleans is such a, you know, unique place. Yeah, well, it's sort of um, – it's it's got that kind of that long gothic history with it too. And Anne Rice wrote all her vampire novels set in New Orleans there. And when you're there on the ground and you're walking around, you can sort of feel it. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, it's it's a, a unique place. I've been there a couple of times. So I love the atmosphere, love the foods, um, and just um, the, and the characters too. Like that's you know they're they're really unique that you just don't get in um, big urban centers. No, no. And if you if you're heading back there again, um, I'll flag this one. Uh, Willie Mays for fried oh, chicken yeah. is unbelievable, mind okay. blowing. Yeah. And um, and go hit up uh, James Cruz at Central City Barbecue for a hit of uh, barbecue with the New Orleans twist. Oh, nice! Yeah, absolutely really delicious. Cool. I'll have to get in, get down there and, and taste it again. Yeah. <laughs> so that trip, obviously, um, as you said, that inspired you, and you came back to Australia, and you had the idea for Griffin. Tell us how Griffin came about. Yeah. So basically, I came back um, and uh, started straight away. I have a have a friend and um, business partner, Greg. Um, who was he was really into um, like Italian cooking and like I worked with him in the outback out, up in Kew, uh, which is uh, somewhere between Mount Magnet and Mekathara. And we used to there wasn't a lot to do up there, so we used to we build our own pizza oven and um, and cook pe- wood fired pizzas out there. And then when I got back from that trip, it was like, man, you should taste this barbecue. It is amazing. Um, and pretty much ordered a Smoky Mountain Weber. Um, straight away <laughs> and just started like literally within a month of like coming back and started cooking. I think the first thing we ever did was I remember we were cooking um, uh, chicken wings and we were doing them in Mount Magnet and it was just, A, it was, I think it was hard to get the chicken wings because we were in Mount Magnet. And, um, but we, we ended up doing them on there and just they just got demolished. It was like, wow, this is game changing. And then from there – um, by 2011, we'd uh, um, registered a, a business um, and started planning uh, and uh, we got a um, smoker trailer, like your traditional Texas-style offset, um, built in Mul- in Mullawa. Oh, yeah? And yeah. tell me about that one. Was it standard flow, reverse flow? No, it was standard flow. So it just uh, – we I think we um, – we had a, I had a look online back then um, for at Pits by Close and Pits by JJ, which were Texas manufacturers. And so I, I looked at a ton of pictures online and um, I got a friend who had a CAD program to draft it up. Um, and then we sent that through to, a, um, <laughs> through to a, a, a guy who pretty much, he was a boilermaker, but he was working mostly for doing work on the mines. And we gave him the plans and he was scratching his head. And we're going, well, how much is trailer going to cost? And he, he put it down at 10 grand, which was an absolute steal back then. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, so um, so when he built it, then he realized, oh, yeah, I should have charged you more. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but the cool thing about that is uh, we had it, we actually got an old, um, uh, an old ke- beer keg and we mounted it on the side and it had that as like a water flow, um, you know, so you could wash your hands with a, um, a setup at the front. So it was gravity fed water flow. Uh, so it's a pretty cool old pit, um, and we used that in the first first couple of years of um, of Griffin, where we we basically just um, cook for family and friends. And then our first big break was uh, we did a um, bending event at the Mora Show in late two thousand in September of two thousand and eleven. And how'd that go? Well, <laughs> it was a it was a bit of a disaster, actually. Well, not the fact that like so. A, like we were just going, okay, where are we going to get the produce from? And we kind of scoured around and um, the butcher in, in Mora did some really great beef ribs and, he, and there was plenty of meat on them and stuff. 
stuff like that. But basically, we'd only just received, like, I think three or four days beforehand, I drove back up to Mullawa, picked up the, the pit had just been finished. We'd already booked in to, to do the Mora show and bend at it. So we, everything was like last minute to get it registered by the um for by the health department and then drove it in. I remember like I was at midnight seasoning the pit like only a couple of days before. I'm like crawling in there with a mop and like mopping <laughs> it out with olive oil and like seasoning this pit, not really knowing what. And and we basically cooked on it untested at the Mora show. And oh wow. I, I, and I was like, um, I, I remember the rib, the, the pork ribs were they, like these, you know, when they cut those like shiners that have got like, like almost oh. like the ends where they're triangles and oh, yeah. just all odds and just real mongrel pieces of meat. And you just go and having no, seen really great um, barbecue ribs and you're just like, oh, what is, what is this? Like, how did I get this? But I think we did a hundred racks of ribs. We did about uh, 20 racks of beef ribs um and then uh and then we opened up for the day like and all our family and friends showed up we were all queued up there and um but the thing we didn't realize like that so the Mora folk all wandered past and they're eating their dagwood dog and their pie and whatever and they're like what is this stuff you know they just didn't know what it was and that was our introduction to to barbecue back in 2011 because like it really didn't have the the, um, the traction that it does today. Well, I was actually going to ask, when you said that you ordered that uh, that Weber Smoky Mountain, I was going to ask, like, did, did you order it from a barbecue store to be delivered in remote WA or did you have to order it to be delivered to Australia? Because I'm thinking I, I got my first smoker in early 2012 and it had to come from the UK on a ship. Yeah, I think – I think it was like from somewhere like barbecues galore or something like that. And it was really quite, it, it, I hadn't seen one before. Like, and uh, there was the barbecues galore was selling Webers. And I think this was like a new thing. Um, I, I couldn't say for sure, but I hadn't seen one before. I go, oh, what? Because Greg bought the Weber or bought the Smoky Mountain. And I was like, oh, well, what's this though? This isn't a Weber. And he's going, no, no, this is a Smoky Mountain. It's like, all right, okay, well, we, started cracking away with that. But I, I, it was early on. I'd have to go refer to Greg to that. But I'm pretty sure it was like we got it through somewhere like Barbecue's Glory. But it was a new product back then. Oh, okay. For Australia anyway, yeah. So you got um, that first uh, So you got that first catering gig under your belt. And yeah. then And then you went, right, we want to do this like big time. Yeah, we want to do it big time. We were, we were both living in separate um, – I was living in Mora and Greg was in – I think he was in Lehman. So we were – because we had different different areas that we're working in, um, but uh, we kind of set a schedule, and we were only doing a couple of big events a year, and we're doing a few other things, like just sort of dipping our toe in the water. So um, I think the next big thing that came up was the West Coast, West Coast Blues and Roots Festival. Um, I think that was like around about 2012 or something along those lines. So we'd done a bit of we'd done cooking for like family and friends and like smaller events, 25, 30 people, 50 people, whatever. Um, but the next big thing was like the um, West Coast Blues and Roots Festival, which was, uh, I think, 60,000 people um, had some big headline acts down in Frio. Um, and we went into there not knowing what it was like to vend at a really big event. Um, and that was kind of like, again, uh, a real eye-opener from an industry point of view. It's like, 
to cook great barbecue is is one thing, but to sell it is another. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, particularly like, and uh, this would be for all those people out there who are you know looking to get into events. Um, it really is like gambling, um, and it is just you're so. Doesn't matter how good you are, um, it's like you're so beholden to like the elements. And um, if I was giving to give any advice to anyone about doing bending events, is um, uh, position is king. Position, position, position. If you're not in a good position at a festival, um, you know you're gonna work. There's a difference between having to really work hard to advertise and get it out there. But if you've got the main thoroughfare where the foot traffic's past the door, um, the, the, the product, it does, they, a lot of them don't even know what the product is. They just buy it because it's convenient and it's the closest thing to say where the stage is or next to the beer tent. Um, and so that first year we did it, like we were down the back, like we, we were the new kid on the block. And so the promoters who organized the food aspects of it basically um shunted us down the back going yeah yeah but and um and we really struggled to make sales that year because like um we we had to be innovative we had to we had to take out chicken wing samples and really bring it out into the public because they weren't a they didn't know where we were because we were down the back in the back alley of the, the festival and b um you know people still didn't realize what barbecue was there was only a few people who'd been to the States who were like, okay, I know what ribs are and I know this and I know that. So it was kind of a tough gig. Uh, we, we sweated on a lot of money and it was like, it was a big investment in and it was like, um, uh, I think we did, you know, okay. Um, we came out of it alive, but I reckon um, that particular um, festival, I, th- I think I cooked um, 400 kilos of ribs. Oh, my God. Um, and I remember doing it like, cause we pre, cause there's no way you can cook that many ribs on site. Like it's impossible. So what we did was we pre-cooked them. Um, and I had a setup where it was like a, there was a cool room, a freezer, and we had the offset pit and I would cook 40, I cooked 75 racks of ribs per hour and then would freeze, snap freeze them. Um, and then go and repeat the process. So we had a table set up where you would season them, put them on the pit, wait. So I think I cooked them for three days straight and slept somewhere in between. So it was it was like a <laughs> it was all, as well as when you first start out in barbecue, it's all enthusiasm with zero common sense. <laughs> so you did um, so you did everything the hardest way possible. But, well, yeah, exactly. And if if I had spoken to someone who is like. How, in like the catering industry back then, they would have gone, don't don't do do as many products and don't like you know uh, maybe be a bit more conservative in in what you are what you cook. So, um, I mean, we did okay, but it wasn't like yeah, but it was like one of those things where it was absolute Herculean effort to get it done. Well, it's it's funny that you say that that um, that the advice is to keep the menu. Mm, excuse me, that the advice is to keep the menu simple. There's a yep. guy. Um, we kicked off this conversation talking about Texas and Louisiana. There's a guy on the border between Texas and Louisiana and all he does is pork ribs. That's it. If you don't want yep. pork ribs, you go somewhere else. Yeah. And he and, is and, sold out every single day. Yeah. And that it's a, it's a smart play because um, when you've got less menu items, um, there's less time, particularly say in the festival setup, the more items you have, the more choice they have to stand there at the counter and arm and ah about. 
when you've only got two to three items, it's like you either have pork, beef, or or ribs, or whatever it may be, whatever the case may be. That you can streamline production um, and you make the sales quicker because, like, you only have a window of maybe eight hours to sell a massive volume of food. Now, if you have two complex menus, you're gonna like it's gonna cost you. Like, you're not gonna be able to turn over as many. Um, as many orders as you can with a simplified menu. Yeah, some good advice there, man. Definitely, definitely. So obviously you must have uh, earned a bit of a reputation for yourself at that music festival and worked your way up into uh, into some better real estate at, at subsequent festivals. Um, yeah, at, at, at what point did you start um, putting the uh, putting the permanent site into a, into uh, action? Oh, look, um, I, I think – uh, by um, two, we sort of uh, just sort of had it really as a hobby, and we we sort of dabbled in some of these um, bigger festivals. Um, but by around about 2017, we were kind of looking at going. Oh, we we can't keep doing it like this. We got we either like commit to something a little bit more permanent, or we just like you know just be hobbyists. Like it was it was that turning point. Um, and uh, so, and at that point, I'd started searching for um, the right real estate to, um, or the right forum to move to the next level, um, which would be sort of a, a restaurant. So, um, and that's where MBQA came into play. Um, that I'd, I had been already as part of that searching for the right venue was also um, like going to some of the uh, going to the MBQA conferences to learn about. Um, how people in the industry in America do it, um, you know, from the ground up, um, uh, you know, what a lot of their conferences, um, things are like barbecue 101 and barbecue business 101. Um, so I'd been learning that um, from there. So then I, 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 I knew what the pitfalls were and the struct and what structure I needed to have to, to sort of start a, a barbecue restaurant. So um, yeah, that's that's sort of how we've evolved from there. Um, and in the meantime, we were also dabbling in like um, KCBS competitions and um, and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, it's been a sort of a road of uh, part like you know part amateur, part you know um, barbecue uh, competitor, and then also the the, the catering aspects moving into into restaurants. Yeah, you just sort of come at it from all sides, there, didn't you? Yeah, um, I mean like. To be fair, our mindset is, and it's kind of, it has come from all the people that I've met in the states, is the the origin of a lot of those great barbecue joints um, uh, is from competition barbecue. Um, I, I guess one of my uh, one of the people or group of people that I look at is Seventeenth um, Street Barbecue down in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Oh yeah. Uh, um, and Mike Mills, who is a legend of, of barbecue um, and is very influential against – he's basically – all my all my friends in the States who are, have uh, food trucks and uh, restaurants and that have all done his, like, catering courses and, like, have looked to him for information about how to, you know, compete, you know, talking about rubs and recipes, like – but um, uh, 17th Street Barbecue is a, a real force and a real institution in um, Middle America, um, and we looked so looked at to them as an example of how to um, what we wanted a barbecue place to be. Um, but also, you know, it, it starts with that whole 
uh, well, that you walk into that, that place and there's trophies all up the walls and they go, you look at it and go, this is a place that they know what they're talking about, the trophies and the, and the experience that comes from being competitive um, and, and striving to, to have the best product and present the best food is, is a good, I think, something that's a little bit unique to barbecue that doesn't always, you know, you don't get too many like uh, places like that at a fish and chip shop or a, you know <laughs> China or a China or a Chinese restaurant. But you know, you go to an American barbecue place, and guaranteed you'll see a lot of them. You'll see trophies um, in the cabinet at the front or up the wall or near the counter or near the point of sale or whatever. They are all they are driven by competition, and and that's part of their branding. So it's in. I realized early on that that was also important for us to at least give it a crack and, you know, compete with people. And, um, it's taught us a lot of great values on, um, on what it is to, uh, put out the best products you can. Yeah. Right. So you, you took that experience as a competitor and as a, and as a caterer, and then you, you, you settled on Hearn Hill. What, what drew you to that location? Um, I guess, um, <laughs> Hey, it's the the rent was one thing because like always a big consideration. <laughs> yep. Well, I, I mean, we we come from the of the philosophy that like, uh, and this comes back from MBQA um, barbecue business. As you look at the thirty thirty ten principle of of uh, of business, which is thirty percent food costs, thirty percent labor costs, and everything else is in that other thirty percent. Hopefully, you can make ten percent profit margin now if your 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 numbers are out you'll probably you know start eroding away at your 10 percent um but out of that too they said you should really look at having eight to set eight to ten percent um top end should be what your rental is so if you're doing the quick math when we did the budgets it's like so okay if if we're paying eight to ten percent rental this is what our sales goal should be you know like Straight out before you could work everything out. If somebody says this is the rent for a place, based on those figures, you see, oh, we this is the sales figure we have to hit for the year. Like, can we achieve that? Um, so we looked at Hearn Hill, and that was that was part of the thing that said, well, you, you know what, we can get in here. There's not a lot of um, uh, there's a lot of other clauses that you get with leasing. That's like you know uh, on outgoings and everything that you see in the fine print that can really just cut into your margin. So we didn't have those restrictions at, um, at Hearn Hill. Um, and the other cool thing was that um, a lot of barbecue places in the States that I'd seen are attached to markets, you know, like there, there's a, like Snows is near, is near the, um, the meat markets down there. Um, you know, there's a lot of places where that, that tradition is, it, it's aligned with a farmer's market. Um, barbecue has so that goes hand in hand with that sort of thing so we kind of like that um that idea that we're we're associated with a farmer's farmer's market it's sort of semi-rural we're not in a shopping center it gives us a place where we can grow and have a bit of a you know develop what we think is our the soul of what our griffin's about yeah and it's a top spot there too we um you you put on dinner for us when i was over there for the uh smoking in the valley competition but uh, back in november there and it was fantastic. We were able to put on some music, make a make a bit of noise, and just have a good time. Yeah, that's it. And 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 it's um, and that idea is like uh, again, it sort of comes back. Where if you go to Seventeenth Street, um, they own like a whole block down there, which is just basically warehouse sheds, and they've slowly made it into like 
filled it out. And it's like, well, I saw the potential um, at Hearn Hill that, you know, okay, we start on the small footprint, but if we want to lease more, then we can do that. And it's got that feel. There's a lot of people coming and going, buying produce. And um, yeah, it was, it just seemed, and it, and it has that rural feel, which is a lot more, um, a, a lot more homely, a lot more um, friendly than what, uh, the sterility of say a shopping center or, or something along those lines. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. That, um, that, that sterility that, uh, I mean like barbecue is not a neat meal. We get sauce no. on our hands, sauce on our faces. So that, that kind of that, um, that sort of that, that sterile clean, like Uber clean shopping center mall food yeah. court type thing. It just doesn't work. Yeah. And, 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 in considering it too, it was like with the, the whole compliance thing too, it's like um, to have a smoker, <laughs> which is billowing out smoke, is like and emitting the, the, the smells that it does may not comply with the, the caveats that um, come with certain shopping centres or, or that sort of thing. So we just thought that that, that was a better fit for us, like um, moving moving forward, that um, we wouldn't be as restricted out there as we would um, say in – in an urban area where it's uh, you're more prone to com- possible complaints from from uh, things like the smoke. Yeah, well, that is a very good point too. And and speaking of the of the smoker, I'm sure all the listeners want to know what are you cooking on? Uh, so we're cooking on a um, old hickory el, um, which is built in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Um, I came to we bought that back in 2014 thankfully when the Aussie dollar was worth about 92 cents oh. um, so so <laughs> I, I sort of saw the writing on the wall where this is probably the best time to <laughs> in, import a import a pit um, I did a lot of research online again um, and what constantly came back is I saw a YouTube video with David Knight who owns old Hickory pits. Um, and he's a lovely guy. I've met him several times and he's a great person. His family's great. Old, the old Hickory family are amazing people. Um, and uh, I looked at it and then the amount of uh, these top name restaurants, barbecue joints that had an old Hickory out the back was just like, you know, um, was just amazing. Like it's just so there's so many of them. And it's like, well, if it's good enough for 17th Street, um, it's definitely good enough for me. And it's, it's one of those things. It is a true workhorse of the barbecue industry. And, um, if you actually, when we talked about Salt Lick, what do you think they've got out the back there? I was just about to ask if you'd been out the back of Salt Lick. They've got it. <laughs> they've got at least, I think it's a half dozen out there and they've got the yeah. big DWs, the big double wide door yeah, ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the pro and that's part of the process. And it's like, and it's the one thing that I don't know whether everyone's quite aware of, but there is to excuse the pun, smoke and mirrors when it comes to barbecue produced on a mass scale. Um, and Oklahoma Good Joe's in Kansas City also shows that point that, like, um, you know, these uh, the, a, a gas supplemented wood fired pit that's insulated is is the most economical way to produce mass barbecue. It's straight out. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd Ben Arnott. 
So, Dan, you've mentioned there earlier in the episode that uh, that the NBBQA was really important for helping you sort of formulate your uh, your approach to developing Griffin Smokehouse and and your growth personally as a barbecue. Tell us about how you first got involved with the NBBQA. Um, again, I think I, it's, I was just uh, where I sat down when we were formulating and we, we'd build our pit, and um, I said to Greg, like, if we want to really uh, advance this and also just build on a brand that we had to have some kind of connectivity to America. Like you can't, there's only so much you can learn online or from a recipe book. You have to go there and experience it. And, and I found the MBQA through, uh, I think a social media site or whatever it may be. Um, and, uh, we looked at and gone, this is a way that we can see how hopefully learn from people who have already been there and made those mistakes um, and also just uh, I had plans in my head at that point to compete in the US and I thought it's better to have what better way to make friends and have contacts that can, contacts that can help you out than to go to a, uh, a barbecue conference or be part of a barbecue association that you can just speed up that process and, and make a whole heap of barbecue friends overnight. So that was that was the concept, and um, and then we we went to Nashville in uh, 2015, I think it was. Right, yeah, 2015. Yeah, so the Nashville conference in 2015 was 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 a real good one. Um, you know, it had um, all the big like we were kind of star starstruck a bit because like um, <laughs> you know it was it had all the big celebrities there, and like um, so you had Myron Mix and Chris Lilly. Um, uh, Mike Mills was up on stage, and I didn't—I didn't even know who Mike Mills was. Like you know, um, and a lot, a lot of people probably still don't. Um, but uh, all the big, most influential people in in the industry were there. And then it's like, so they had their little uh, on day one. Um, it was actually quite hard to get there because Nashville was snowed in that weekend, which was unseasonable for them. And we had to pay an Iranian taxi driver three times as much money to get from the to drive through the snow to get from the hotel out to the conference. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was like, because we got there, we just thought, oh, uh, it was out as close as the airport and it was, uh, and I was like, oh, how do we get out there? So we went out there, we we sort of wandered around town, we found this Iranian taxi driver and he didn't care. He's like, I will, whatever you, if you pay this much, I will take you anywhere. So we got to the conference and uh, all, walked in there and there's all these celebrities there. And then, so they had their, had their meet, meet the, meet the pitmasters, but then we all retired to the bar. So then you're just drinking with like Myra Mixon. Like, you know, it was oh, like, wow. no, it was just like the accessibility there was something that like, you know, I, I, in years gone by that I've, I've seen people pay a fortune to do. And like, it's just like, you're just there. And like, um, they all know it's, it's actually quite a small knit community. So they're all just talking to one another, like they're your long lost brother or whatever. It's quite, quite a strange, um, and of course, back then when we walked in, we we're the only Australians that were at NBBQA, and no other Australians had been to NBBQA. So we were like this exotic animal for them. Yeah, I don't think I've even heard of the NBBQA until 2018. It was the first time I heard about it. Yeah, yeah. So we'd, um, but we joined up in late uh, 2014 yep. for the actual. Um, so I'd been going for a couple of years, um, and I, I, I sort of, I. I I was thinking, well, why isn't anyone else getting onto this? Like, you know, it just seemed like we were the only Australians going to it. And it's such a valuable thing. And um, all the people that are influential in barbecue were there. So it just seemed like a no-brainer to me. Like, 
Um, so uh, out of that conference, like uh, I met a really great guy called Randy Twyford from Twyford Barbecue up in Jacksonville, Illinois. Um, and he's, he's uh, maybe people probably don't know who he is or anything, but he owns a food truck and he runs out of Jacksonville, which is very close to Springfield. Um, but this Randy um, knows everybody in the barbecue world. Like he's one of those guys, he's got a big voice and big presence, wears bib and brace overalls and, you know, um, but he introduced me to everyone. Like being there and kind of a bit shy, like this guy took me under his wing and just, uh, you know, showed me all the ins and outs of like what barbecue was about, particularly from that hospitality. And as soon as he vouched for me, it was like people would – you know, invite me to stay at their house. You know, it's just, it was ridiculous how much hospitality they, it was pulled on. Yeah. It's, um, it, it was quite a surprise to me as well when I was there, uh, just last year, it, exactly as you said, I got, um, I got invited out to, uh, to Andy Gronerman's house in like in the, in the middle of the night, midnight, he's like, Hey, come to my house and we'll drink bourbon around the fire. <laughs> yeah. I said, I said, sounds awesome. How, how, how far away is your house? He goes, oh, about an hour and a half. <laughs> Yeah, and I said, mate, I've got to, I've got to get up and be back at the conference in the morning. So yeah. I, I, I wasn't able to go, but yeah, it was just, it was open doors. Yeah, and and that's what that's the thing that is, um, MBBQA is like, um, it's it's not the world's biggest conference, um, but the people that've been there have have been going for a long time. I mean, the other people that um that I met at that first conference were all the guys from the Shed Barbecue, who are world champions at um. Um, they've won a couple of them at um, at Memphis in May, um, and again, those people are like, "Hey, Australia, how are you going?" Like, and um, you know, they would like invite you in. And um, that same year, out of that conference, um, Randy invited me to come back to cook with him at Memphis in May. Like, that's within three months of me actually going to that conference. I had all these invitations to go to places, and it was like, "Hell yeah, I'm going!" And um, when I went down to Memphis in May, again, I was like um, invited into like if you're going to Memphis in May and you're in the general public, like you're just a spectator looking at what's happening. But when you're on a cook team at Memphis in May, it's access all areas 24-7. Yeah. Um, and, there's, and there's no better way to understand like what their families are about, you know, the way that the, the, they're set up, you know, the, the financial struggles that come with actually – competing at such a big event like you just get all the scandal all the backstories everything it's like it's a, it's pretty awesome and it's and it's all sitting around drinking a beer cooking barbecue and like watching watching all these people compete like who are the best at what they do it's amazing yeah absolutely so you went there for the first time in 2015 you got introduced to to, to loads of people we fast forward to 2019 and the NBBQA in Kansas City was the first time that I actually met you in person. And yeah. you were actually one of the celebrity chefs at the Culinary Fight Club. That was the first time I met you in person. And you were on stage with the biggest names that I've ever seen in one room having this yeah. mad competition. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, that was really like um, thrown into the deep end of that. And it was, I find it funny. I still, still laugh about it afterwards because like I didn't realize what it was. Um, and um, Saffron, um, who was um, organizing it, MBBQA, Saffron Hodgson, um, she, um, 
she goes, oh, if you're coming over, like you may as well just just put in for this. Like they want, you know, it's an Australian that makes it look international, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like I'm not really a chef. Like and I didn't know it. Was, I thought it was just barbecue competitors, you know, like like your standard sort of KCBS and I'd be up against like sort of KCBS pitmasters um, and that we would all be sort of thrown in to do something and make it in a couple of hours. Um, literally, I know that it was all like, you know, these chefs from all over the States and uh, and they started calling my name as Chef Dan Ryan. And I, I find that's like, I found it funny because it's like, um, I don't have a chef's qualification and I don't, I don't think that you should be labeled as that when you've, you haven't been on the tools and done it from now. I'm a barbecue, not a chef. So um, it was it was quite a, a, a funny experience that they sort of started late. Everyone like, as soon as you uh, put the jacket on or whatever, they, everyone's calling you chef for some reason. I thought I just found it like weird, um, but it was it was a good fun. It was definitely thrown in the deep end on that on that experience. So tell us about the competition itself. You had how long to cook what? So so basically, the briefing was that you got to choose um, uh, five ingredients that you could take yourself, like you could pre-plan and do. Um, and then there was going to be – they were a little bit light on for details, but um, basically you, you, there's two proteins that you – they put cards on the table before the competition starts and you draw a card and it's either – I think it was either pork or beef was uh, the two on that occasion. Um, and then uh, you have a table that's full of produce um, that you get like – 40 minutes before the competition starts, you sort of you can look walk around the table, but you can't touch anything. And you plan out, you look at what ingredients are on the table, and then you have to go right. If I am doing pork, I'm gonna use these ingredients and put put a dish together. Um, and basically, uh, you had one hour to put that dish together for six samples for the judges. So you had to do six samples for them, um, and then you had uh, another couple of hours to put together what it ended up being 200 samples. So uh, that was kind of all, uh, we'll say it was a like dynamic and it all sort of came together at the last minute. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was the way it's structured. And I'd never competed in anything like that before. Like, well, I'm sort of like KCBS low and slow, well planned, practiced. And this was just frantic. It's crazy. Yeah. There was a big countdown at the start there. And then there was like a big bums rush to get to the uh, to the table full of produce, and then it was kind of a like a squabble, like this mass huddle around this table. Everyone's grabbing stuff, throwing it in aprons, and so there was no real guarantee that you could even get the ingredients that you'd planned for. <laughs> no, that's right. And I think the one thing I it was like, I grabbed everything, going, I need this, I need that, and then it was like, we're going to do like a barmy, and it was, uh, and I and I could, there was no when I looked at that, they said time, it was like. I hadn't got the breadsticks and I couldn't make the dish like in that. It's like, okay, what are we going to do now? So we just had like my, my ingredients that I had brought with me was like, okay, I'm going to bread and cr- I'm going to crumb something and we're going to fry it and like do it, do it like that. And, um, initially in the brief, I got the brief wrong and it was, uh, uh I thought you could bring your own protein. And then we, so I had all this chicken there and then, um, and I'd planned everything because, uh, planned everything around doing a chicken dish. Um, then they go, oh, no, no, you got to go do beef or pork. So we did this kind of weird, <laughs> ended up doing this kind of weird fusion of chicken and beef and like it was crumbed and 
um, <laughs> it was it was funny because like it tasted delicious, and by the time people ate it, um, they thought it was amazing. And uh, but I was trying to explain it, and um, uh, standing alongside all these chefs who had you know they everything they presented was totally chefed up. It was like these. Um, I, I think the guys from Chicago um, had like um, they had what uh, there was maybe the food was this tiny sample in the middle, but they had like big um, beer in these big sauces, and they had sparklers and all that. And I'm just looking at like I got six pieces of breaded uh, <laughs> breaded meat on the plate, and it's like I really don't think I got the briefing right on this, like because <laughs> these guys have got these amazing things with fireworks and all this other stuff, and I'm standing there next to my breaded meat, and it's like all oh, right, okay, I guess I'm tanking at this one. Um, but luckily, like people were were liked it, and so we we did all right in the People's Choice Award. So um, yeah, it was it was kind of definitely something where I'd do it again, but I I, I would definitely do a little bit more research, and um, I I know what way I would be getting myself into second time round. But it's it was definitely outside my comfort zone from the traditional barbecue sense, anyway. Well, I, I think you're being a bit humble there. I mean, I'd, I'd, I will admit I was quite a few free beers into the evening by that stage, but I'm pretty sure you finished up third out of all those chefs, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, uh, there was third in the People's Choice, I think. Um, yeah, so um, I think our, well, I think the key was anything that was fried when in the absence of no one else did a fried dish, so fried fried beef or fried chicken was just um, – just something that uh, a crowd that had a few beers in thought it was amazing. So, because <laughs> ah. we, we sold it out, like we, we had our samples done and dusted long before everyone else had because they just saw whatever it was that was fried, they're gone, this is amazing. And then they just dusted it. So, um, yeah, but uh, it was it was definitely something I was definitely out of my depth. But, you know, uh, you know, you got to do these things if you're going to, you know, it's a bit of fun and, you know, um, you've got to go where you haven't gone before and step outside your comfort zone. That's what we always say. Yeah. And what an opportunity to get your name known, like, like in that crowd as well. Absolutely. Yeah. That was the thing. Like uh, afterwards people were going, you know, it, I really was just had my head down, like buying produce and I was busy for that whole conference, like running around trying to get all the ingredients that I could and then everyone's stopping you going, hey, you're that guy. And that's like, yeah, 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 I'm, I've got to get to the restaurant depot now. I, um, I didn't realize till afterwards like how much traction that I got as far as being someone who was just pre- in previous events at conferences sort of being just a face in the crowd to being someone that people knew and then like wanted to talk to. And I was like, oh, it was kind of a, a strange position to be in. Must have been a good feeling though. Now you you did mention that you were running around chasing ingredients and that. Um, I then saw you on the was it Saturday morning? You were cooking for the barbecue bash. Is that right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so the barbecue bash, um, which has been a long held tradition in um, in MBBQA conferences. That it's kind of like because it, um, MBBQA is a non for profit organisation, so part of their the money that they raise for the year to keep the organisation going is from the big bash. So they they ha- they give tickets and um, they uh, basically you give out samples and you compete and it's again it's a people's choice award where um, the people come they they pay X amount they get well, I think there might be five voting cards or whatever they go around they sample the food hand you the voting card then they they pick who which sample they think is the best. 
So, um, and that's it's sort of a, a, a fundraiser for the MBBQA. So I was asked to, again, because I was from Australia and, you know, there wasn't any other Australians that were cooking there, um, asked to, to put something up. So, um, yeah, we decided to do the um, a, a different version, like do an, uh, an Aussie meat pie with burnt ends. Oh, nice. Yeah, so so basically um, <laughs> uh, that was, again, it's something that we'd practiced and planned the, uh, the burnt ends uh, pies back in, at the shop. And so I think we'd done prior to going because, like, we want to re- place really well at this competition. And um, uh, so it was going to be a, a short crust base with um, a puff top um, and a mushroom or um, a mushroom gravy with um, of a mushroom duck cell with uh, with burnt ends in it. Um, so I kind of had had that all mapped out. We practiced the way it was going to done in the production of it because um, in the briefing, we were, again we were told that like uh, we probably had to produce about a thousand items. So that was Ooh. like a thousand a thousand party pies to put out, and like, so that was definitely I, I think. Uh, I bit off more than I could chew as far as as far as my ambition goes on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and the thing that I didn't realize was uh, when I was running around sourcing it, it's like, um, and they have some really, um, the, in the States they have big places called Restaurant Depot, which is like the Bunnings of like food produce. So you walk in there, it's, it's as big as Bunnings and it has like a massive cold section and you can pretty much get anything there. Um, be it fry pans or rolling pins or um, co- uh, fresh fresh veggies. Um, so I thought, oh, you know what? Yeah, I've got this. I'll walk in there. I'll buy X amount of puff pastry and I'll buy X amount of short crust and uh, we'll be good to go. And then uh, I couldn't find any short crust in there. And it was like, all right, okay. Um, and so I went to someone there and they go, short what? And it's like short crust pastry. And they're like, I- I- I'm going to have to Google that. It's oh like, my what? god! <laughs> it's like what? What do you mean you have to Google that? And um, and then it's rapidly to my to my dismay came evident that uh, they didn't use they don't make short crust pastry there. It's like something that's just not done. Like as simple as that short crust pastry is, they didn't make it. Like it wasn't it wasn't oh, wow. available. It wasn't available in stores. It wasn't um. I started to ring around. So, and I backed everything into like making this dish. This was it. Like, you know, the, um, I'd put it on there. It'd be marked on the cards, everything. It was like all the banners were made <laughs> promoting, <laughs> promoting the, promoting like the burn end pie. And I was confident with the dish. Like it was, it was a great dish. Um, so then I, I, I rang around and there was an Australian guy that was actually has a, um, a place there called um, Banksia, which is, right in the middle of Kansas City, um, and it's a well-known um, uh, bakery there. Um, it, it, they, I think the two um, two people, for, uh, the baker's from Melbourne originally, um, but he was um, he based himself in Kansas City. Um, he was well-known. He was actually, that weekend, he was shooting for uh, restaurants, dives, and diners um, with Guy Fury. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, so he was shooting that weekend at, and I'd found out that like they knew how to make puff paste, uh, make short crust pastry. And I went in there and like, um, he's like, oh, I've got a lot on, you know, this is a. Uh, yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's a shooting a show with Guy Fieri. 
yeah, yeah. He goes, Look, the, shop, the shop's going to be shut on Saturday morning. Like, I, I guess I could get some staff to come back in to make you the pastry. Five hundred dollars later, Ooh. <laughs> um, that'd be US with, dollars too, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was hemorrhaging cash at that <laughs> point in time out my eyeballs. But um, so anyway, we got the pastry, got everything set up, and um, so it's the morning of the event, um, and. I, the mis- again, it's like I pretty much worked through the night. So I'd done a test run on on the Friday night. We cooked some batches of pies, and in, in the old old hickory were good enough to. They brought over a pit for me um, from Missouri, um, and uh, so I, I'd done all the prep work, done the bur- cooked the burnt ends the day before. Because when you're doing it for a pie, you have to like uh, cook your meat and then let it go cold. You can't put hot meat into it when you're forming a pie. Like it has to be cold, um, so the process was to to cook the um, the burn ends, uh, chill them down, and then um, the next morning was like uh, I ha- I got the pastry delivered and um, was forming the pies from oh, good night. I think I had about uh, two hours sleep maybe, but by the time I'd got back to the hotel and then got up early and started at I think four thirty in the morning oh because my God. I had. Because we were going to punch out a thousand pies for that Saturday, yeah. <laughs> so I'm busy getting it all done, and the first batch is getting rolled out. And um, and I, the mistake I made was that um, I assumed it was just like any other, um, you know, you're, you're you know the tips for treats process and that where it comes to uh, charity events. And I assumed it was a charity event, and like you know we'd have like a hand washing station and and all that sort of thing there, which we did. Um, but it wasn't like you were going to get gone over with a fine tooth comb by the health department. And um, and then next thing this, uh, like I'm halfway through, it, we're supposed to be starting serving pies at I think uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. I've been working since 4.30. Um, and then at 9 o'clock the health department show up and they're like, they were shutting everyone down. They're like, because people were doing it the barbecue way, the competition barbecue yeah. way, you know, which is like, um, you know, it's, it's dot the eyes, but maybe not all the T's were crossed. Yeah. Um, but but it was like, but it was like, but and that's what that's what uh, previous events have been like. They're just a competition, but they're like the um, the city um, health department for Kansas City were like, no, you are like you're opening a shop. So they were like stringently going through, and like um, uh, I think in the process, like. Uh, we chilled down the burn ends, um, but they were because they were in the esky um, and some of the ice had melted because we've been doing a lot of other stuff and hadn't restocked. So that the the burn ends were slightly over temp, um, and they've just gone. No, you can't use those. And it's like, oh, um, no. <laughs> and that was the problem. And it's like, okay, we can go. It's not a big deal. It's a charity event. We'll just go and source some burn ends from somewhere else, um, and we'll continue forming the pies. No, no. Nah, it has to be all done here. There was no, no, they were basically just shut it down. They weren't going to like, you have 10 minutes to comply. There was no other like, um, you know, uh, leeway on it and because we were, I was scrambling to like put everything else in process going, okay, if you don't use those burn ends, we can get some more burn ends. That's not a problem. It's a charity event. We just want to put out the pies, whatever. And it was like, basically we couldn't get signed off to start. Like, so that was, and that's when I think you came across, and I was that by that point demoralised because, like, you know, we I'd put so much effort into getting to there, um, 
assuming that it was just like a um, just going to be a competition style and then to be shut down like that was like um, really something where um, you know yeah, again you go in with a whole heap of enthusiasm and you want to do put your best foot forward and you want to present stuff that like the product was great but it was it's like we we didn't uh, cross all the T's on on what was there for. Kansas City Health Department, so they were like, "No, you can't start." And it was like, and they nearly shut down. It took a lot of scrambling. They shut nearly shut down another three or four um, vendors as well, or competitors. Um, but it just it turned out like they luckily they were able to like ditch some things and like get some other things in place in that ten minutes. So um, yeah, <laughs> it was a hard slog, and it was like, <laughs> um, but again, it's like. Um, these are sort of the, some of the hard lessons you learn that probably a lot of people wouldn't tell you about because everyone wants to hear about your successes. No one ever wants to hear about your failures. Oh, I disagree. It makes great podcasting. <laughs> 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 yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and it's like a, a, a year on, it's just like, and I guess that flows into like um, the, the the important point if you your listeners, like uh, what I would say is to to undertake any, anything in the U.S., be it – and a lot of people would be um, looking to compete in the U.S. Um, – is that it takes a hell of a lot more blood, sweat and tears than what you think it does and and also your budget. Um, it, it's something I've learned and that's why I get – I enlisted the people that are over there to help because you need the help. And there's certain things over there that the way we do business here is totally different the way they do business over there, um, and it's not, and it, it can just be one little thing that you go, oh, I didn't know you had to do that, um, and it's like that's not the way we do it at home, um, and that can re- totally railroad you, um, and and it's the same when you come to competitions, and that's I guess the relevant thing that your listeners would probably go, well, I'm thinking of going and you know throwing my hat in the ring. It's like you have to have all the angles covered, otherwise, don't bother showing up. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Yeah, Dan, some absolute, uh, some perlers of wisdom there coming from uh, from that uh, bit of a bummer of a situation, to be frank. But <laughs> yeah. let's uh, let's move on from, um, from burnt end pies and let's start talking about ribs. I understand they're a bit of a specialty at Griffin Smokehouse and so you want to tell us a bit about how you uh, – about how you put them together. Yeah, uh, so so ribs are, are something that I, I see a lot of stuff on social media. It's like the dismay of like everyone's getting shiners. Like they're all getting like it's not – you can't walk into Walmart or uh, Costco like you can in the States and get meaty ribs. Like Smithfield in the States just do like off-the-shelf – meaty ribs extra tender is on the packet you know like it's easy and there's any store you any walmart store you go into you can get them that's not that doesn't apply here in australia that's not a thing Mate, I, when i was in texas i bought a brisket from target yeah it was, yeah. It, was it was hilarious yeah and the quality of the brisket is like you know oh, miles so good. ahead of like so miles good. ahead of like um of what you can get here so the big challenge that we had um, early on, and when I'm talking about ribs, is you've got to find the right produce because, like, you know, if you're you're cooking with thin ribs, um, 
or small ribs, like they're going to dry out super quick and you just, you go, well, I can never get my ribs. It's like, well, you have to get a better, like um, a bigger produce. Like there has to be more meat on the bone. Um, we kind of put up with um, with ribs um, just going, accepting what the um, what people in the industry would say for a long time and then I got sick of it. I was like, nah, there's got to be a better way to do this. So we went to our, our book our um, wholesaler and they process like 80 pigs a week. And I said, take, I went out the back and I said, take the pig down and let's cut everything from the, from the skin down to the bone. And let's, let's start sculpting some ribs out of this. Um, so the way we do it at Griffin is we get more belly meat on, on the rib. So basically you peel the top layer of skin off, peel that first layer of fat off and you'll get that first layer of meat. Um, and this is through the spare rib. So um, you'll basically, so it's the sort of middle midsection of the whole rib cage. So you're not, most butchers won't sell you baby backs. It's like they're, they're just not going to do it. Um, but uh, the, those spare ribs through the center is so we'll get, we'll get an extra layer of meat on top. Then, we'll, then there'll be a, depending on which pigs they're from, there'll be a layer of fat and you'll get the meat that's um, the next layer down, which it's kind of goes in between the ribs. So we, so we get those those custom cut, um, and then um, basically we've had a rib rub, um, and we get them processed so that basically we can, we can pull them out of the packet, and they've had the membrane pulled off the back um, because I want to make it easier for my staff to, uh, when you're cooking commercially, like I can't be there all the time. So you want your staff to be able to just go, I pull these from the packet. They're a big, thick, juicy rib. Um, they normally weigh in, our ribs weigh in at a kilo, Per rack, nice. Yeah, um, and uh, you can pull them out of the packet, um, and then basically we have our own in-house rub. Which again, we like. We were, when we started barbecue, there was no barbecue rubs here. Like there's hardly any sauces on the shelf, so we used to make our own sauce, and we made our own rub. Um, and I got a book, a barbecue book, book off the internet back in 2011, um, and we found a recipe on there. Um, uh, that we've worked with and uh, we've had it ever since. So um, it's just a combination of brown sugar, paprika, um, chili. Um, uh, but the one thing we found with the rub is like the quantities of chili that were suggested was just Australian chili I think is hotter, do you reckon? Um, it's definitely not as hot as the chili I got in Mexico. That uh, <laughs> that That's another story for another day. Yeah. I just I just found that like a lot of powdered chili here is 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 far more intense than what um, some of the American powdered oh, chili. Oh, I see is. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, so, I, so, I actually so know why that rubs. is. Okay, I, why is that? That's because um, in Australia, a chili pepper is a chili. In Austra- in, yeah. in in the states, a chili pepper is what we call a capsicum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's and but we call that paprika. Yeah. So powdered chili and chili powder are two yeah. very different things. I learned that the oh, hard way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so anyway, so we modified what they had, and we half I think we halved the actual suggested amount of chili in the recipe. Um, but yeah, we we basically just slather that on. There's no extra. Um, we don't bother with any um, other binding agent like a um, like a mustard or anything. We just put it on. Um, let it sweat for a few minutes and then they go straight into the old hickory. Um, we set the oven at uh, 280 
about 280 Fahrenheit. Um, and then it's about uh, round about two hours, two, two and a half hours at that temp will get you to 90 degrees. Um, but they need a little bit extra time uh, after that to get the, – they'll have their colour. Um, you need a little bit of extra time after that to obviously get them to tender. Um, it's a bit of a different process. Like cooking cooking ribs for um, competition is a totally different schedule to cooking ribs for um, – Commercially, when you've got to hold them all day, it's a different. Yeah. It's a different game plan. Um, so if you if you want to have your ribs ready for um, for twelve o'clock lunch on Sunday, like you know, you might go the old uh, three two one or something along those lines, where you just wrap them. Uh, you get the color, and then you'll wrap them, and then uh, get them to the tenderness you want, and and away you go from there. And then you might like um, throw them back on the grill, get a little bit of a little bit of char going on, and maybe caramelize some um, some of the sauce that you put on just depends what you want to do but um, but yeah we um, we've uh, we get them uh, so we've got extra meaty ribs um, uh, the only the big the big downside for us is the cost they're, they're quite expensive at 28 dollars kilo Ooh, that's before yeah. you've even cooked them and put the rubs and sauces and all that on yeah Ouch. yeah so yeah so so what we found though is like um, we our big thing that we do, and we do things a little bit different to, you know, we don't we don't um, push. We push it more from the concept is that you're having a like a judge's box, yep. you know, like we're selling barbecue that you'll you'll eat a rib, then you'll eat some brisket, then you'll eat some pulled pork, you'll eat some chicken, and that's a complete. You've sampled a complete meal, and it's one. I think it's one of our biggest sellers is the competition sampler. We call it. So, a couple come in and they'll eat a rib and they'll eat some. Um, brisket and and or the other meats plus some fresh salads. Um, and it's just something that's a it's a, a taster of everything. But basically, when you've got uh, ribs that I think after they're cooked, their their cook weight is anywhere from six sixty grams to maybe eight hundred grams. Um, you know, each rib is like a hundred grams of uh, per slice. So you know, you when you think of that in the context of protein, that that's a lot of meat. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the way we present it. And then, so we're able to like, it's the rib is expensive, but the, we offset it with chicken and, and pork as a supplementary one, um, item on the plate. Um, but it makes for a great meal. And if someone wants to pay, like, um, pay the, the full price for a rack of ribs and they pay but those who are really willing to eat them will eat them, but it's a, it's quite a big, big chunk of meat. So, um. Uh, but they're, they're a great – I think ribs are one of those things that I've always enjoyed them. I think they're um, they're awesome. Um, we've won a fair few awards in them, um, so I'm a bit loath regardless of the price to take them off the menu. Yeah, I really like that idea that you said about putting them into that competition sampler box rather than just try and straight out sell them in a rack. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the barbecue caterers that I've spoken to, they all say that uh, the general public sort of doesn't really – fully understand the work that goes into producing this barbecue food. And so they balk a bit at the prices. So yeah, hundred percent that, and that's the thing about ribs. And we've got um, a lot of pushback in the early days of opening a store was like, we, we honestly thought that, you know, everyone that coming was, is a barbecue devotee that was like, um, that knew everything and watched all the shows and like, you know, they're on all the forums, all the people that you see engaged in social media about barbecue. We thought these are these are our guys. These are the people that are coming. 
and they weren't. It's like people, ninety percent of the people that come to our restaurant have no idea. And what kind of ribs have they eaten? Tony Romas. <laughs> you know, that's it. And or they've, you know, there's a, there's been a big misjustice in Australia on ribs where. A lot of pubs have put on ribs on a Tuesday night special where they've bought oh. shiners. Where they've bought shiners, they've slathered uh, Master Foods barbecue sauce on them and said, "Here's your meaty ribs." And then people think that's the standard. Ninety percent of the public think that ribs are like something that's like not smoked, boiled. They, you know, and they've got it. They just slather with a sauce, and they. And some people think that that's great and that's that's cool, but when we do. We have a different standard, and we have the. We run with a, a competition standard or a competition quality of barbecue. You know, like there's a there's two. We found two distinct types of barbecue people. Some are like bargain hunters, and others are there because they because <laughs> they because they because they, they truly appreciate barbecue, and they and particularly in ribs. Like the people who appreciate ribs go, yeah, I, I can see the effort that's come into these, and. I can see the depth of flavor and, you know, the produce is great. And that, whereas, like, other people look at you blankly and they go, well, I can get those ribs. I can get a rack of ribs uh, for 20 bucks. Yeah, I'll just go down to the uh, Lone Star Steakhouse. Like, Yeah, 100%. Yeah, let's go down there and get them. And, like, you guys are uh, – I've had, you know, Facebook reviews are like a, you're extortional, you know, like – you know, things Ooh, that, cause they, Extortional. You know, you know it's, it's one of those things where it's like – there's the bargain hunter goes, I just want as much meat in my stomach as it's a, you know, buy in bulk kind of deal and I, I want a good price for it. Um, but they don't really appreciate the fact that, you know, either myself or my staff got up and maybe um, and put those ribs on at six in the morning, you know, that, you know, we've, that uh, the fact that, you know, that it costs, um, it costs maybe a dollar fifty per kilo for, for firewood, you know, they, they, they have no idea. They just think, oh, well, uh, they're boiled at Tony Roma's. Like, you know, that's the same thing. It's like they're comparing apples and oranges and, and trying to get them at the, the cheap apple rate, you know. That's, that's, that's the hard thing, but that's like um, that, that's the one thing that I've sort of found about barbecue um, in this uh, next, next phase of our uh, moving forward. Yeah, it's it's what I refer to as the uh, the Macca's mentality. The yeah. um, they they walk in and they expect that you're able to just throw it together. And I'm you can't see me, but I'm using inverted quotes here, uh, air quotes, cooked fresh in in yeah. under two minutes. Yeah. And uh, uh, it it just doesn't work that way with barbecue. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, going back to the to the whole thing of like with your listeners, as far as like um, to get that great barbecue. Um, pork rib experience at home is like just do your research and you'll you just have to go on any what number of the like um facebook forums on who is like there's butchers out there who know barbecue um and are putting out like a, a decent rack of ribs that you can go if you've got a decent rack of ribs to start with um you know you're there like you know you, you know you've got a great great produce on the plate then you know you only have to just just follow the uh, follow the steps, and you're gonna produce some great stuff. Like when you've got when you trying to get when you've got bad produce to start with, then it's like then you really it doesn't matter. You're not not a magician. Like it's gonna take a lot of magic to to get a bad rack of ribs up to to something where your guests are all gonna be wow, that's amazing. You are a pit master. <laughs> yeah, to quote Stephen King, you can't polish a turd. 
Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. But and that, but the thing is, it is like um, if you're putting ribs on for the weekend, I would like go have a look at where your good butchers are and and go um, engage them, um, and they're the ones that you'll get you'll get the good produce with and you'll get a great barbecue result for you and your family and or the event that you're cooking for. So um, that's from a, that's from the home cook perspective. Um, but you have to be a little like, – like everything in barbecue, I think you have to just plan out maybe a, a few days, maybe even a week before. Um, uh, it's something that you, you have to be organised with. Yeah, definitely. So there's some top advice in there for uh, – for people that want to get out there this weekend and cook themselves up some pork ribs. So thank you very much yep. for that. That's so, okay. mate, I'd, I think that's pretty much a, uh, a a good point to start wrapping up the episode. So I'm going to uh, throw the studio over to you completely now. So give some shout-outs to whoever you want to say thank you to and tell all the listeners where they can track Griffin Smokehouse down on the internet. Okay, well, uh, we're obviously at www.griffinsmokehouse.com.au. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, don't use Twitter too much these days. I'd probably like to say thanks to, for this, so far, to all the uh, family, friends, employees that, you know, we've got a great group of employees that have come on board and have helped um, make Griffin what it is today. Um, and they put in a lot of hard work. It's hot working in the barbecue, especially over summer. <laughs> um, and, um, they're definitely the future of us expanding and, and doing the next great thing will be because we have that support of people who are out there doing the hard yards. So i like to say thanks for all those guys. Um, and if you want to check us out, we're at uh, Swan Settlers Market in Hearn Hill, which is uh, 124 Lennon Street, Hearn Hill. So come down. If you're in Perth, come down, check it out. We're open on Saturdays and Sundays. Or if you're looking for a, a catered event, um, yeah, just hit us up on the, from the website, email us, and uh, we'll make a great barbecue event for you. Beautiful, man. And that is Griffin as in the mythical creature, not Peter Griffin yes. from Family Guy. So G-R-Y-P-H-O-N. Which I believe is the correct spelling. But there's – yes. But we do still get a few Gryphons in there, Gryphon Smokehouse. Gryphon, nice, <laughs> yeah. nice. That's how my American friends sometimes pronounce it like that, but yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, look, man, I'm going to say thank you very much for coming on board the show and sharing your wisdom with us and best <laughs> of luck with uh, with Gryphon Smokehouse in the future. <laughs> Thanks very much, Ben. Appreciate it. And um, hopefully uh, all things go well with uh, getting over to the States for the conference in the light of the current conditions. Yeah, well, we are recording this about uh, two weeks and one day before I'm supposed to fly, and it's completely up in the air as to whether we're going to uh, actually be able to make it or not. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty scary stuff. Well, fingers crossed, because it's always great to get over there. And there you have it, family. That is Dan Ryan from Griffin, not Gryphon, and not Griffith, Smokehouse. Griffin Smokehouse in WA from Swan Settlers Market. Um, as I did say at the top of the episode, um, I did manage to, uh, to to hit them up when I went over for the um, Smoking in the Valley competition there in Perth in November last year. Dan's a top dude, cooks some great food, and if you get a chance to get out there, do head in there and go see him. Um, he did a great pulled uh, whole, whole pork uh, – oh, I'm rubbish today. He did a great whole pig uh, in a – 
Lakaya Sheena box there was just delicious. It was so good. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend it. Get over there, get some of that India. It was really good. And so that's it for today's show. So I'm going to leave you with one last thought. If you're looking for the hottest barbecue merch out there, head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com and check it out. There's a link in the description for this episode. And if you buy a shirt, a cap or tumbler, I'll love you forever because that'll mean a couple of bucks towards our trip to the NBBQA conference in Louisville in April, where I'm actually going to be presenting on the stage if this coronavirus business calms down. But by the time we release this, we'll know for sure. Odds are I'll probably already be over there. Um, and so you can all just laugh at me quietly now as you know the outcome already. So uh, yeah, ha- happy times, good times, good times. Oh, and do keep an eye out. We are bringing out a new line of merchandise very soon. I'll be announcing it shortly, but keep an eye out in the shop for that because it's going to be very important come this winter season. Alrighty, that's it. So till next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips and Ben's own confessions.